You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, this morning we're continuing on in the Jonah series. So, again, if you have your Bible, look with me. And um, if you haven't picked up the, the devotional, it's not too late. Our team put together, and this was a team effort, not just my work, but uh, our staff put together some drawings, this whole um, pre-devotional, post-devotional. The children and teens are talking about the same things that we're talking about in here. And so we put this together to give an opportunity for the family to be able to interact about the book of Jonah. So if you haven't picked up one of the devotionals, again, it's not too late. You can grab one on your way out this morning so you can be kind of traveling with us through the book of Jonah. Well, I want to give you a quick summary from last week in case you were not here or for those who were here, just a, a quick reminder as we launched into the book of Jonah, we began talking last week about the fact that God is always at work in our world today. He's always at work, not only in our world, but in our community. Not only is God always at work, but he's inviting you and I to partner with him in his work in our world. Small ways and big ways, what God's inviting us. Just as he did Jonah, God invited Jonah to be a part of a redemptive mission to uh, the city of Nineveh. And as Jonah had um, a decision to make, so each of us have a decision. Every time God invites you to partner with him, you have a decision to make. Again, the small stuff and the big stuff, we have a decision. And when God invites, we can say yes, or we can say no. Obviously, Jonah said no. He, He blatantly disobeyed God. And he headed... In the opposite direction. We talked last week. If you say no when you're running from God, you're traveling down a difficult road. Um, You're traveling down a road that's going to bring disappointments, disaster, and demise. When you're running from God, there's always consequence. And we, we talked about the other side of the coin also last week. It's the second option, which is actually the best option. It's to say yes. Yes, God, I want to partner with you. Yes, God, I I want to be a part of what you're doing in our community, in the world today. And we talked about, as we choose the the best option, the second option of saying yes to God, that it's a a place of discovered purpose and potential, and and it's a place of a transformed life. So the first lesson we, we learned from Jonah and his bad experience is that we always want to find ourselves running to God. Tell your neighbor, hey, run, run to God. Go ahead and tell him. Run to God. Well, today we want to dig a little deeper into the book of Jonah as we talk about the main character of the book of Jonah. Now, obviously, the book of Jonah was named after the prophet Jonah. And for years, I've read through the book of Jonah, I don't know how many times, a lot of times. For years, as I would read the book of Jonah, I always thought it was about Jonah. I mean, it's named after him. I kind of thought Jonah was the main character of the book until recently. Recently, as I was preparing for this sermon series, I was reading and rereading and praying over the book of Jonah and reading and rereading. And in one of my times through the book of Jonah, I discovered something that I'd never seen before. And I've heard this story told about every way you can tell the story to Jonah. And this is what I discovered. This may shock you a bit this morning, but the book of Jonah is really not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is a book about God, who happens to be named after the prophet. Who's the main character in this book? It's not Jonah, it's God. 
And what we see in the book of Jonah is like all these different attributes and characteristics of who God is revealed within this story of a man named Jonah. And I would encourage you sometime this week, uh, sit down, it'll take you 20 minutes. In 20 minutes, you can read through the whole book of Jonah. But read through the book of Jonah with a different set of glasses on. As you read through the book of Jonah, look for the places that God is at work. Look for the places of how God reveals Himself within the story. And this is what I will guarantee you this morning. You'll be absolutely amazed at what you discover. So this story that's named after Jonah is really not about Jonah. It reveals the very character, the nature of God. So it's not about this man who struggled with disobedience. It's, it's really a picture of a God who relentlessly pursues us. In the midst of our challenges, our struggles, our failures, and even our rebellion, what God's still calling us. That's what we see in this story. He's still pursuing us. Listen, others may give up on you. Others may reject you. Others may throw in the towel on you. But here's the good news. God will never give up on you. Isn't that good news? And he'll never give up. He'll never, he'll never throw in the towel on you. That's what we see here in this story. Just this past week, I was... Doing my early morning devotions, I kind of have a bit of a routine. I get up early every morning. Even this morning, I was up early and uh, I, I prepare my coffee and I have uh, peanut butter on Ritz crackers every morning. <laughs> coffee, my peanut butter and crackers, and I grab my Bible, I hit the recliner, and I usually spend the first hour of my day just kind of hanging out with God. I just, I've just discovered it's a great way to start the day. And I, I was this past week, I was just hanging out with God and I was I'm, I'm reading in several different places in the Bible right now, Psalms and, and Jeremiah and, and Second Timothy. And, and I was reading in Psalms and I came across a passage of Scripture that wasn't it wasn't a new passage to me. But there was something about this verse that just captured my attention. And I just kind of I decided I'm just going to hang out here a minute thinking about this verse, thinking about this thought. And this is what the psalmist wrote. Psalm 139, verse 17. This is what he says. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand on the seashores. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about that. This is God who spoke the world into existence. This is the Creator the creator of the universe who's saying this about you, that his thoughts for you, his plans for you are greater than the grains of the sand on the seashore. I mean, think about that. Think about the seashores around the world. Think about if we had the ability to take a microscope and one by one count the grains of sand. How many of you know it would be a lot? I don't know what the number would be, but it would be a big number. It would be a number that would be like beyond our comprehension. Get this, the psalmist says that God's thoughts toward you. Don't allow this verse just to bump over you. God's thoughts toward you outnumber the grains of the sand and the seashore. Is that not a mind-boggling thought? I mean, that thought this week, it just wrecked me. Early in the morning, it wrecked me as I was thinking about just the, the favor of God, the love of God, His plans. Man, there are more than the, the grains of the sand of the seashore. I mean, that's the awesomeness of the God that we serve. Not only does He love us outrageously, 
but he pursues us relentlessly. That's why it's critical. It's critical that we have a right understanding of God, a a right view of God. And I think it's the book of Jonah that really helps us see who God is and and how he works. See, if you have a, a wrong view of God, you are most likely going to wrongly respond to God. Let me say it again because it's really important. If you have a wrong view, a wrong understanding of who God is, then most likely you're going to wrongly relate to him. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you this morning. I'm going to ask my friend Mike. Mike, would you come on up this morning? I'm going to ask my friend Mike Sarek to come. And I asked him earlier if he'd help me out with the sermon. He just nodded his head, and I don't think he knew what I meant. But I really meant it. For those of you who have not met Mike, this is Mike Sarek. His, his wonderful wife Jennifer is over here to our right. So this is Mike. Um, kind of, how tall are you? Before the elevator accident? Before. Six nine. <laughs> Before the accident, he's had a, a couple surgeries, and that's another story not to go into. But before the accident, 6'9", uh, pretty big guy. Now, if, if you didn't know Mike, so you never met him before, but you thought, uh, you thought that he was a challenging, difficult guy. Now, I can tell you he's not. I've hung out with him some. Really likable guy, funny guy, makes me laugh. So I just I enjoy hanging out with him. Um, but let's say, again, you didn't know him, and you thought... You were wrongly informed. You thought that Mike was a difficult, mean, critical, judgmental guy who was like always looking for an opportunity to get at you. Now, if that was your perspective of this good man, not true, but if that's your perspective, if you were walking down the hall and saw Mike, what would you do? It was like you would cut into the bathroom, right? Didn't need to go to the bathroom, but you would sneak into the bathroom because you would want to avoid him because your thoughts of him is like he is like a big guy and he's going to get me, right? So what you're avoiding him because you have a wrong perspective of who he is. Or if he's walking toward you, it's like you do a quick U-turn and you're heading in the other direction. Why? Because you have a perspective of him that's not who he is. And you're afraid of him. Your wrong response is coming out of your wrong perspective of who he is. He's really a good and godly man. But again, you have a wrong perspective and that's bringing about a wrong response. Does that make sense? Give Mike a hand. Thank you, buddy. That's why it's so critical that we have a right understanding of who God is. In fact, Dr. Bill Bright made this statement in one of his books, and I have it there in your notes this morning, because I think he says it so, so well. He says, the false view of God leads to sin and corruption and many times cruelty and great human tragedy. On the other hand, a proper understanding of God leads to a life of blessing for oneself in many generations to follow. I believe Dr. Bright is, is accurate here in his statement. It's been my experience that when individuals have a distorted view of God, either they misrepresent God or, again, they wrongly respond to God. So to rightly relate to God, we've got to have a right understanding of who He is. And again, I think the book of Jonah really reveals the, the very nature in character of God. So it's my hope this morning in the few minutes that I have left to help you um, 
to help you come to a right understanding of God if you have a wrong understanding. And if your understanding is right, my hope is to reinforce those truths even in a greater way this morning so that you live with fullness of hope as you're processing life, as you're doing life with God. So let's look this morning really quick at four attributes of God that we see within the book of Jonah. So we're going to kind of take the whole story this morning. So keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture. But here's the first attribute of God that we discover in Jonah's story. It's this. God is love, and He wants no one to perish. Not only does God love, which He does, He loves, but God is love. He, love defines who He is. If you don't know what love looks like, look at God, because God is is love. And we see this in Jonah's story. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2 reads like this. This is God speaking to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, as I mentioned last week, um, the people of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, were a wicked, evil, ferocious people. Let me just quickly recount this. I mean, they they were so wicked, they were so ferocious, as they were conquering other cities, other people, other empires, they would actually take their captives, the ones who were still alive, they would take them and they would literally skin them alive, put them on a stake, and then set them on fire. If they captured a city, they would take the children in the city, they would set the children on fire and force the parents to watch their own children burn to death. That's the kind of people we're talking about. When you think about terrorists, you think about individuals who are doing atrocious things and and you see the news and you're like, wow, how could they ever do that? That's the kind of people the Assyrians were. Wicked. Yet notice this. The God of love who created them, the wicked Assyrians, the terrorists, the God of love who created them desires relationship with them. He doesn't want them to perish. Even as wicked and as evil as they are, what does he do? He calls a man by the name of Jonah to go and preach a message of repentance. Why? Because he's a God of love who does not want anyone to perish. We see this illustrated in in one of the stories Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. There's three stories. There's the story of of a lost sheep. There's the story of a lost coin. The story of coin and the story of a of a lost son. But in the parable of of the lost sheep, Jesus is telling the story of how a shepherd has a hundred sheep. And he's gathering them all in. He begins to count. And he counts a second time. There's 99. There's not 100. One's missing. It's in the story that Jesus tells, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. To rescue the one. Why? It's the heart of the Father that none would perish. So the shepherd goes after the one. He finds the one. He brings it back. And the Scripture says there's great rejoicing. And I think that story, that story reveals for us, again, the heart of our Father, the heart of love. See, God created man so that we might live in relationship with Him and enjoy His love both now and for all eternity. We see this truth reinforced or revealed in John 3.16. I think probably most of us would be familiar with this verse 
It begins like this. For God so loved the world. Let's take it out of the general and bring it to the personal. For God so loved Lovey. For God so loved Winston. For God so loved, what did He do? He sent His Son to die that we might live. He sent His Son to die that we might not... The interesting, the Scripture says that we might not perish, but that we might have this, that we might have eternal life. The salvation flows out of God's love. It was God's love for you. It was God's love for me. It was God's love for the world. Why? Because He didn't want anyone to perish. In 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 even further reinforces this truth. The Scripture says that the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Catch this next line. Not wanting any to perish. The first thing we need to understand about God is God is love. Let me tell you why it's so critical that you anchor yourself to this truth about who God is. When life's not happening your way, when there's adversities, when there's difficulties, when there's the lie of the enemy that could come and say, God doesn't care, you, 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 need to come, you need to be able to come back to, no, I know God does care because He is love. And the way, God, the way God relates to us is out of His love. He can't, listen, God can't be anything but love. Why? Because that's who He is. The first thing we see here in Jonah's story, first attribute of God is that God is love and He wants no one to perish. Here's a a second attribute of God. God is all-powerful and he He performs the supernatural to capture our attention. God is all-powerful. And one of the words that that we've coined and that we created to try to describe God is omnipotent. Omnipotent. You can break it into two words, omnipotent. God is what? He's all potential. He's all power. God is all powerful. But He doesn't do the miraculous just to wow us. He doesn't do the miraculous just to make Himself feel good. He doesn't do the miraculous to impress Himself because He doesn't need to impress Himself. When does he do the miraculous? When does God do the supernatural to capture the attention of humanity, to reveal who he is, and to draw us to himself? Again, we see this throughout the story of Jonah, really the whole story. So let me just identify, though, for the sake of time, a few places that we see this in Jonah's story. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, the scripture says that God sent a wind on the sea. So the wind that brought the storm that captured the attention of the sailors and Jonah's attention was not like some natural weather pattern. No, it was a a storm that the Creator, the Creator of the seas, created the storm. And it was so violent that it captured... I'm sure these sailors had been in a lot of storms before, but this storm was like any other storm to the point that it captured their attention. And then when Jonah's thrown overboard, I think it's Jonah 1.15, the Scripture says that the sea grew calm. The very God who created the storm calmed the storm. It's interesting, if you read a little further in the story, I think it's verse 17, that says that God ordered a fish, a big fish, to swallow Jonah. So get this, the God who created fish said to one specific fish, I want you to be in this place at this time. He thought he was getting dinner. And really, it was just a part of God's plan. God ordered that. 
And if you read on in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, this is the way I read the scripture. God gave the fish a bellyache. And he vomited Jonah up on the shore. So don't miss this. All of this is by God's direction. All of this is by God's supernatural work. Well, our God is all powerful, meaning he lacks in no way. And he reveals his power to capture our attention. We see this throughout throughout the New Testament. If you take Jesus, for example, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Jesus does a lot of miracles. I mean, he does things like open blind eyes. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. And almost in every story, this is what you find as the supernatural is happening through Jesus. The crowds are gathering. But they're attracted. Their attention is captured. And then Jesus teaches truth. We see the same thing in the early church throughout the book of Acts. God reveals his power through the early church. People's attention is captured. One illustration of that. Acts chapter 8, we have Philip who goes down to Samaria and begins to preach the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, miracles begin to happen. The supernatural, God's working through Philip in a dynamic, supernatural way. Listen to how the scripture records this. Acts chapter 8, verse 6 says, When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, They all paid close attention to him. Did you catch that? So God's doing the miracles. It wasn't Philip. God's doing the miracles through Philip. And as it's happening, it's like everybody's like, wow! What their attention has been captured so that they can be encountered by the truth of God. God's all-powerful. Does he still do miracles today? Absolutely. Absolutely. For what purpose? Not just to wow us. Not so we can have a holy huddle moment. But to reveal the greatness of who He is. And to draw us, to capture our attention. To bring us into a greater relationship with Himself. Here's the third attribute of God we find revealed in Jonah's story. It's this. God is gracious and gives us second chances. How many of you know that's good news? Praise God for second chances. God is gracious. One of my favorite verses of Scripture in all the Bible is found in Psalms 113, verse 8. Listen to how the Scripture reads. The Lord is gracious. Excuse me. The Lord is compassionate. Compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. And abounding, abounding, overflowing in love. Goes on to say, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God doesn't repay me according to my iniquities. In other words, I'm glad that He doesn't give me what I deserve because I know who I am. I know the challenges and the struggles in my life. God doesn't respond to me based on that. Why? Because of the wonder of His grace. We see this attribute of God's grace in Jonah's story as God clearly directs Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't want to go. He blatantly disobeys God. And he runs in the other direction. But what I love about this story is God doesn't quit on Jonah. He doesn't give up on Jonah. Listen, and He'll not quit on you. I don't know who you are, where you've been, where you've been, or what your story is, but hear me this morning. God will not give up on you. 
Why? Because he's a God. He's a God of second chances. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, after Jonah had been in the belly of, of a fish for three days, listen to what the Scripture says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. If you have your Bible, underline that a second time. He's the God of second chances. He says, go to, go to the city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I gave you. And because of God's grace, Jonah got a second chance. He goes to Nineveh and preaches a message of repentance. And, and, and the whole city, the whole city responds. But the, but the good news is that with God, it's not three strikes and you're out. Because of God's grace, what does God do? He rescues, He restores, and He gives restarts. Praise God for restarts. I mean, you know, we need restarts, right? We need do-overs. We need, we need mulligans, if you will. Mulligans in life. Just yesterday, we were engaged in an interview process with someone for our East Lincoln campus. And when we do interviews, when we're kind of checking people out to see if it's the right fit for us, we do, obviously, the office interviews. But we also try to get them outside of the office, just kind of see how they respond um, different situations. Uh, so yesterday we were doing an interview on the golf course that was kind of part of the interview process. So there were four of us, there were four of us playing golf, and I'm, I'm not a very good golfer. For me, it's more about the social aspect of the game. Um, it's not a great passion of mine. Um, so I'm up on the tee box, and, and I, I hit the ball, and as it often does, uh, it went on visitation off to the right, over the trees, and hit someone's house. <laughs> and the folks who were with me said, hey, Pastor, you can tee up another one and hit it again. I said, praise God. <laughs> they, said, they were saying, well, hey, you, Pastor, you can have a mulligan. You can have a do-over. You can, you can hit it again. And this is what I know. We all need that restart. We all need the do-over. We all need the mulligan. And that's why this, this aspect or this attribute of who God is is so critical for us to understand. Our God is a God of grace who gives us a second chance. And we see this, I think, really illustrated in A story that Jesus told in Luke 15. I told you earlier, there's three stories in Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin. The third story is about the lost son. And it's really a picture, I think, that reveals the heart of our Heavenly Father. The wayward son is us. The father in the story is our Heavenly Father. Let me just quickly recount this story for you. Luke 15, there was... A father who had two sons. His younger son came and said, Hey, Dad, I want what is mine. I want my inheritance and I want it now. And the father gives it to him. The father lets him go his own way. That's, I think, interesting. And as he goes his own way, the Scripture says that this younger son wastes the inheritance on wild and riotous living. However you would interpret that. I think it probably involves some strong drinks, some wild women, and some gambling. That's how I would interpret it. And he lost everything. You see, when you're, on a, when you're on the road that's going away from the Father, it's always a road of disappointment, disaster, and demise. Talked about it last week. Well, where does this son end up? He ends up in the pig pen. Couldn't get a job anywhere else, so he is like feeding the hogs, hanging out with the hogs. 
And one day the scripture says he came to his senses. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, what am I doing here? Has my father's hired hands, my father's servants, they, they have better than this. I'm going to return and I'm going to, I'm going to tell my dad I, I failed, I, I, I messed up, I don't deserve to be your son anymore, but will you have me back as a servant? Will you just let me be one of your hired hands? He said, well, that's, that'd be better than the pig pen. So he gets up and he, and he heads back to his father's house. And as he returns in his stench, the stench of his failures, Scripture says that the father's waiting and looking for his return. Get that picture. The father's waiting and looking. And when he sees the son in the distance, the son that is so screwed up, the son that's so messed up, the son that's like wasted everything, the Scripture says the father runs to the son. Not to judge him, not to criticize him, not to tell him I told you so, but to welcome him home. Scripture says the Father, get this picture because this is a picture of our Heavenly Father. The Father throws His arms around the Son and gives Him a hug. He takes that nasty robe off and He puts a clean robe on. Puts a ring on His finger. He puts sandals on His feet. and He says, hey, kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate my Son who was lost has been found. Folks, that is a picture of our Heavenly Father, a God of grace. Who gives us second chances. I don't know where life has taken you. I don't know where your travels has taken you. What point of failures you may have come to in your life. But I can tell you the Father's not running from you. He's running to you. To give you grace. Give you a second chance. As I said earlier, others may give up on you. And maybe they have given up on you. But God never will. Because He's a God. He's a God of grace. Here's the fourth and final attribute of God that we see that's really connected to grace. It's difficult to separate these two. But I see it as a fourth attribute. And it's this. God is merciful and He longs to forgive and restore the repentant. God is merciful. He's full of. He's full of mercy. We see God's mercy revealed as Jonah preaches to the Ninevites. And again, as I said last week, the Ninevites were wicked, immoral, ungodly, ferocious. I mean, I think of the worst person you could think of, and then it's the Ninevites times ten. And that's why Jonah, listen, that's why Jonah didn't want to go to them. It wasn't that Jonah was afraid of them. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites because this is what he knew about God. He knew that God was merciful and God would give mercy instead of judgment. And and Jonah wanted God to judge them. Jonah wanted God to punish them. He wanted them to pay. That's why he ran the other direction. Because God, I, I don't want you to be good to them. I want you to give them a tail kicking. And I know if I go and preach this message of repentance, you're going to do just that because you are full of mercy. That's why he disobeyed. But after the storm and the fish, God had captured Jonah's attention. He gives them a second chance. Jonah 
you know, after three days in the belly of a fish, he's just been vomited up due to the gastric juices. His hair's probably gone. He's bleached white. I think he probably looked like a scary guy. And he shows up in Nineveh. And he begins to preach this message of repentance. And I want you to notice what happened in this city among all of these evil, wicked people. Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, speaks of the response. Of, it tells the rest of the story as to what happened. To pick it up in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of, of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. Notice verse 10. I think this is the critical verse. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion. Or we might say He had mercy. And He did not bring upon them the destruction that He had threatened. So as the Ninevites humbled themselves and repented of their wickedness, they didn't get the punishment they deserved. Instead of receiving the judgment of God, they experienced the mercy of God. What God listen, what God did for the Ninevites, He does for each of us when we humble ourselves and repent. And because of God's mercy... We don't get what we deserve. Because of His mercy, what do we get? We, get? we have the privilege of trading judgment for forgiveness. We have the privilege of trading death for life. Listen to how the Apostle Paul summarized God's mercy in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. I think the Scripture's on the screen. It says, but because of His great love for us. Whose love? God's love for us. Notice this next line. Who is rich and mercy? So who's God? Not only does He love us, but He's rich. He's overflowing in mercy. He's made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. Our God is a God of mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He forgives us. You know, the book of Lamentations, I think it's Lamentations 2, about verse 3 or 4, somewhere in there. The Scripture says this, that God's mercies are new to us every morning. The God who's rich in mercy brings mercy to us that's new in that day for that day. Why? Because our God is full of mercy. Again, Pouring out His grace upon our lives. Possibly you're here today and you have a distorted view of God. There's a lot of different ways that we can end up there. 
Oftentimes when I interact with individuals who have a distorted view of God, it's because they had an earthly father that was, um, that was rigid, that was difficult, that was demanding, that was abusive. And what oftentimes happens is we, we view our heavenly father through our earthly father. So we, have, we end up with this distorted picture, this distorted view of who God is. And I'm telling you that, that that's not who God is. That's a lie of the enemy. But you end up with a distorted view. That's how you think of God because that was your earthly experience. Again, it's that distortion that can... Have you wrongly responded to God? Or, or, or maybe it's because you grew up and you just had like wrong teaching. Like you grew up in a, in a culture or a church or a setting where, where people always talked about the rules of God and the demands of God. And, and you kind of view God as this big guy who's waiting to thump you when you mess up. That God's the thumper. And when I was a kid... When I was a kid and I would act up in church, which I did often, which is interesting that I would be in church today because I, I, was, I was a tough one in church. My dad had a thumb that was as big, I mean, had a, a finger that was as big as the state of Texas and he would thump me on the head. Got my attention. But possibly you grew up in a church where that's the way you were taught. It's about the rules, and if you didn't keep the rules, God was going to get you. Like you couldn't, you've not been able to keep the standard, the standard being perfection. So because of that, God's out to get you, so you've been running from God rather than running to God. What is that? It's a distorted view of who God is. It's a wrong view. Or maybe just our culture. Our culture has shaped your view of God, and today you have a distorted view. Let me, again, just a quick summary. What, what, what can we learn from the book of Jonah? Our God is a God of love who's relentlessly pursuing us because He wants no one to perish. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3. He says the love of God is deeper and wider and higher. He actually says the love of God is beyond human comprehension. God is love. Our God is a God of, of, of mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us more and better than we would ever deserve. He's a God of grace who gives us second chances. Folks, that's who God is. And when you have a right view, a right understanding of God, then you can rightly relate to God. Then you're not hiding from God. You're not trying to avoid God. You're actually getting up every day and running to Him. Why? Because you have a right understanding of who He is. That He's for you, not against you. That He's working. Working for your good. And praise God for who He is and for how He relates to us. Amen? Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank You this morning for the story of Jonah. And God, for how You reveal Yourself to us through Jonah, through this story. Lord, we are just so grateful today. I want to begin there. God, I am grateful. And Lord, I know I'm grateful with a whole lot of folks today who are grateful, God, for Your love, for Your mercy, and for Your grace, for Your love that relentlessly pursues us, for Your mercy that, that forgives us, for Your grace that restores us. 
grateful for how you, the Creator, relate to us, the created. And Lord, my prayer for everyone here today is, God, we would, we would continue to have, we would continue to build a right understanding, God, of who you are. Because, Lord, what I know again is how we view you determines how we're going to respond to you. With every head bowed, eye closed, possibly you're here today. And, and you would be honest enough just to say, hey, I've been living with a wrong view of God. I've, I have a wrong understanding or I've had a wrong understanding of who God is. Maybe it came through, as I said earlier, your Heavenly Father. Maybe it came through wrong teaching. Maybe it's just something that somehow got stuck in your mind and it's totally not true as to who God is. If that's you today, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. You know who you are. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I come against the lie and the deception that's got rooted into people's minds as to who You are. Lord, I pray today that that wrong view would be, uh, would be torn down, would be removed. And Lord, today that they would begin to relate to You rightly as to who You are. God, may we, may we find ourselves running to You. God, may we find ourselves, Lord, overwhelmed by the wonder of Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. Because God, that's really who You are. Lord, I pray that those distorted views, that, that You would, like, so to speak, give us a new prescription today, that we would be able to correctly see, God, who You are, and then out of that, correctly relate to You. And Lord, as I said so many times, and so I, I still believe today, God, You're a good God who wants to bring good things into our lives. May we have that right understanding. And Lord, may we find ourselves consistently, continually running to You, our loving Heavenly Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.